Welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit, a series of 15 podcasts that present different aspects of a vegan lifestyle from some of the most prominent thought leaders in veganism. Perhaps you want to learn how to be a better advocate for animals. Maybe you want to feel confident about raising your family on a plant-based diet. Proudly sponsored by VegFund, the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit's for you. Hello and welcome to the One Bite Vegan Food for Thought Summit. I'm your host, Emma Leticia. And in this podcast, we're talking to the founder and director of the Food Empowerment Project, Lauren Ornelas. Lauren has been in the animal rights movement for more than 30 years, and her work with the Food Empowerment Project seeks to create a more just world by helping consumers recognize the power of their food choices. Being vegan is a great step towards creating a more compassionate world, but there are always ways that we can improve to do less harm to others, and that's what we're going to be talking about right now. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Just before we talk about some of the wider food justice issues, can you tell us a little about what inspired you to set up the Food Empowerment Project? Absolutely. I think that one of the main things that inspired me comes from my past and who it is that I am and the fact that I got involved in animal rights issues in the late 80s. But prior to that, I was already not wanting to consume animals because of being raised by my mom and my sisters and I being raised by my mom by herself kind of recognizing separation of families. And my mom would have to drop me off at daycare or whatever, and just the separation and the anxiety it caused. And so I would see animals, cows in the fields, and I would imagine what it would be like for those animals to be separated. And I just couldn't bear the thought that I would be responsible for separating a mom um, from their baby. And so, you know, in elementary school, I actually went vegetarian. I wasn't able to stick with it because my family didn't have a lot of money. And at points, we were just having to eat what people brought us. And so I think those two issues right there help form Food Empowerment Project in the sense that we are a vegan organization for ethical reasons dedicated to showing and drawing connections between our food choices and how we can help animals, but also recognizing that not everybody has access to be vegan. I'm also a proud Chicana, meaning I'm Mexican, and was raised with an understanding of Boycott of Greats, which was started by farm workers to help create changes in their working conditions. And as part of Food Empowerment Project, a big part of our work is looking at, as a vegan organization, trying to get people to not consume animals. We're encouraging more people to eat produce, so therefore, farm workers is part of our work. And finally, as somebody who Um, was involved in the anti-apartheid movement. A lot of that movement was geared towards people that they could help in other countries fight the apartheid regime by not buying certain products that supported it and uplifted it. So a lot of our work is focused on getting people to, you know, eat their ethics and not think about what went into their food. So that's a long answer to your question, but um, all of these things created who I am as an individual and as an activist. And in doing and being involved in the animal rights movement since 1987, I always involved these things into my activism. But over the years and over the decades, I got a lot of pushback from animal rights activists when I would bring up human rights abuses. And so I decided after attending the World Social Forum in Caracas, Venezuela, that I wanted to have an organization that combined all of these issues that I cared about revolving around food that not only were shaped by my own background and my own life, 
but also issues that are still current today that we could all make a difference on. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of people don't realize they think about, well, I've gone vegan for the animals, for the environment, for my health. They sometimes don't understand the implications of vegan food choices and the harm that can still happen. You talked a bit about the farm workers and justice for farm workers. What are some of the most pressing issues that you campaign on with the Food Empowerment Project? Well, right now, um, some of the things we're working on in terms of farm worker issue is the fact that there were some very serious fires that took place in California a number of years ago, and farm workers were not only displaced from their homes, but also from work because of these fires and suffered the consequences of an industry that felt it was okay for them to work in some of the worst air conditions at the time. And so we're trying to get information from farm workers about how this impacted them personally and professionally and try and possibly pass legislation to protect farm workers better. We also do a school supply drive for the children of farm workers every year because many of the farm workers, and, and keep in mind that farm workers in California not only feed California in the United States, but many of this food is then shipped across the world. And these farm workers suffer from horrible working conditions. The women face sexual abuse on a regular basis. They aren't paid well. They suffer from wage theft. And so we're doing the school supply drive to help them and their children, who their children are, what they're sacrificing everything for right now. And so we try to do things to create long-term systemic changes for farm workers and also immediate relief, such as our school supply drive. I don't know if you want me to go into the other aspects of the pressing issues that we work on, but that's one of them. I mean, I guess the other issue that I would say is very pressing is a lack of access to healthy foods in communities of color and low-income communities, primarily black and brown communities. And we work in these areas primarily because it's a justice issue where those who are more affluent and also whiter have better access to fresh fruits and vegetables and even uh, meat and dairy alternatives. And um, this is another area we work on. Yeah, no, those are... um those are exactly the issues that I wanted you to highlight, so that's perfect. Thank you. One other aspect of your work that most people are quite surprised by is highlighting slavery, because most people think that slavery is a thing of the past. However, you've through the Food Empowerment Project, you've discovered that slave and child labor still exists. What have been some of the experiences that you and your colleagues have been made aware of, and where is this taking place? Well, I think, you know, you're absolutely right that most people do not think that slavery exists anymore. And in fact, it exists in the United States with many farm workers. But on a larger scale, we have a lot of food production that is derived from slavery. And we focus on chocolate because of the fact that it's, <laughs> it's something that should keep everyone up at night, realizing that there are children in Western Africa who are beaten and who are locked in at night all for a luxury industry such as cacao, which is used to make chocolate. We also focus on it because we think it's important that vegans recognize it, that even though something may be vegan, meaning not having any animal products, it doesn't mean it's cruelty-free if it's at the hands of slaves. Things that we've actually, an article came out from the Washington Post in June of this year 
talked about how this issue hasn't improved at all, that you have children and even adults who are beaten. You have children who are sold, literally sold into slavery, children who are trafficked hundreds of miles away from their home to where they're at now, where people don't even speak their local dialect. So this is a travesty that this continues, and yet the corporations who are profiting from it aren't doing enough to remedy the situation. So you have, um, you've, done, you've got a lot of information on your website um, about that, and we'll link to your website in the bio. It talks about the conditions that the children and other adults are forced to work in, but you've also got a really fantastic resource in the form of an app and a list, don't you, for where people can find vegan, friendly, and or safe chocolate. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we know that it's one thing to tell people all the horrible things that are happening in the world, and there are plenty, but it's also another thing to try to empower people for them to recognize, as we say, the power of the food choices and to not buy into something that's harming others to the best of our ability. So we created this list, um, which we update every month. As a vegan organization, every company has to make at least one vegan chocolate to make our list. And we have it available on our website, two free apps. We want everybody to download the app and to use it. If there's a company on our list that is your favorite and we don't recommend it, we encourage you to reach out to them. If there's a chocolate company you love that's on our recommended list, we think it's important for you to let them know that you're happy about this decision. But really, this list comes from you all. And so if there's a company that isn't on there that you like and they make vegan chocolate, we encourage you to contact us and we'll reach out to the company. The list is available in English, in German, and Spanish. And you can also, we also notate the different countries. And so you can also just type in the name of the country and it'll pull up chocolates from that country, except for the U.S. because that's where we're based. And so they're kind of listed already. Fantastic. I know uh, I live in a very small town in France and there's only one brand of vegan chocolate. So I was really relieved to see that they were on, on your list. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm glad. <laughs> Um, so there's chocolate. Are there other common foods that people should be aware of that have a system of exploitation behind them? Yeah, I mean, I think that probably for most of your listeners, they already know that animal products are full of exploitation and cruelty. But in terms of um, foods that are considered vegan, you have chocolate, coffee, bananas, palm oil, definitely. And those are some of the issues that we actually have information on our website. Although we are a small organization, we do have other products they're wanting to look into, but those are the current ones that we have research on. Okay. So sometimes we see ethical or fair trade or organic labels. Do those mean anything in terms of coffee and banana? Like how can we purchase those products and know that they are cruelty-free? Unfortunately, um, the various certifications have been found to be problematic. So we as an organization do not recommend anything based on the certification. The article from the Washington Post that came out in June does highlight some of the major issues with the various certification, which includes when they do the inspections, there's an announcement and the children are hidden. Children have been found on these areas. So the certifications I think the intention is there, but for those of us who are vegan, we also know that 
certifications when they come to animal products aren't exactly things we would trust either. And I think we need to have that same skepticism when it comes to certification for other products. One of the things that you encourage on your website is for people to grow their own food or to get involved in a community project. In your experience, what kind of impact do these activities have on the community? Well, people growing their food can be incredibly empowering. And it's empowering for children and it's empowering for individuals to know that, one, they can help create um, food, life, basically, but also that they're able to sustain themselves, that they're able to take care of themselves. And for many in the black and brown communities, the system of food has never been created to benefit us in the United States. It's one that has been sought to exploit us and in some ways make us more vulnerable. And so it's really important for us to have that ability. And so for those of us like myself who have never owned a house or anything like that, um, whoever owned land, we see worker-owned cooperatives as being another way for people to buy their food in a way that's good for them and their communities. So worker-owned cooperatives are different than membership cooperatives where the worker-owned cooperatives mean the workers own the business themselves. Typically, they're from the community itself, and the money stays in that community. So it's not going back to another country. It's not going back to another state. That that money is then staying and helping that community thrive, and it's also helping the people who work there create skills in many other ways. So we feel that those are the two of the best things for people to do to help empower themselves and their community and be more independent. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And just to kind of bring us towards the end, what can each of us do as individuals, no matter where we live in the world or where we're listening from, to ensure that our buying choices do the least amount of harm? I think the first thing that I would love people to do is not to get overwhelmed. You know, it's easy enough to say that, oh, I can't help anything that's happening around me and just throw up your hands and do nothing. I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do something um, locally, thinking locally and globally about the difference we can make for our communities and the environment, human animals and non-human animals. And so I think that recognizing that our food is something we do, eating, I'm sorry, is something that many of us with privilege can do several times a day. And I believe strongly we have a responsibility to make sure that the choices that we make are those that will help make a difference for others as well as ourselves. So making sure that what you're eating, you're truly eating your ethics. If you are somebody who can't afford fresh fruits and vegan alternatives to animal products, that you, and I'm saying people who consume animals, but have those opportunities to buy those other things, they really should think about if it is within their ethics and their how they see themselves to cause suffering to non-human animals. So if they love animals, that they really think twice about consuming any animals or any animal byproducts. I think for those who are vegan, who have um, the ability to think more about the products that they consume is to really decide, do I believe in supporting slavery? Do I believe supporting child labor? Do I believe in deforestation? Do I believe in promoting colonization with what I'm eating? And so taking that extra step to be responsible. I mean, a lot of people, when they spend money on electronics, do a lot of work into figuring out 
their reviews and how much they cost and doing comparisons and is this a good product or not. And I think we need to have that same thought and skepticism when buying our food to make sure that we are being responsible and that we are empowering communities and making a difference. Yeah, fantastic. And on that inspiring note, that brings us to an end. Thank you so much, Lauren. I know your work has inspired me for quite a few years now and it will continue to inspire me. And I really hope that our listeners have been inspired to action as well. Thank you. Well, thank you for all you do. And thank you again for including our work. No problem. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Empowerment Project, the issues they campaign on, and how you can support them to keep making a difference, make sure you click on the link for Lauren's bio in today's email, where you'll find details on the Food Empowerment Project website and social media channels. Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change. Thank you for listening and being part of the One Bite Vegan Summit. Be sure to keep up to date with the latest One Bite Vegan online events and free resources, including the One Bite Vegan blog and digital magazine by connecting with us via our website, onebitevegan.com. Remember, one bite is all it takes to make a change.